Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Our show is about to begin. And now, part three of The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this is our third and final look at The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, a video game from 1998 for the Nintendo 64 home console with a musical score by Koji Kondo. In our last two episodes, we discussed the interactive nature of this score, which has more meaning in this game than most. Not only does the music change when you enter different areas of the game, not only does it change when you are in danger or are safe, or you make a great achievement, find some important object, etc. But at the very heart of the game lies a playable digital ocarina, one which you must learn to use or play to unlock secrets, travel to distant lands, or even go through time in order to experience the game's full adventure. This game is unique, with its blurred lines of diegetic and non-diegetic music, oftentimes making little to no distinction between what we as the gamer can hear and what exists in the game's fictional world of Hyrule. The end result is a seamless musical blend, largely due to the game's overall musical theme. In this episode, we're going to continue our exploration of this musical theme and discover that it plays right up to the very end of the game, when we find and defeat the evil Ganondorf and restore peace to the kingdom of Hyrule. In our last episode, we had just completed the game's opening act, a long sequence that plays out as a mini version of the overall game. We learn the game mechanics, we get a sense of the world, of the characters and locations, and we experience three wildly different dungeons, culminating in what we think is a big victory, only to discover the real game is just beginning. We met our main character, Link, as a small child in the Kokiri Forest. Now, after being asleep for seven years in the Sacred Realm, he's awakened to save Hyrule. A sage named Raru tells him that he is now old enough to wield the Master Sword, and it is now time to defeat Ganondorf. The game's metaphor for innocence lost is very clear when we enter Hyrule for the first time seven years later. We are now in the adult world. It's challenging. At times, it's flat-out bleak. There's an awful ring of fire and smoky clouds above Death Mountain. In the main central marketplace, where there used to be a carnival-like Ren Fair atmosphere, we now find the Walking Dead, 
Hyrule and its main castle have been taken over by Ganondorf and have fallen into darkness. And it's our job as Link to save the kingdom. But first, before we can even begin, we encounter a mysterious figure named Sheik, the last of the Sheikahs, who steps out of the shadow of the Temple of Time. As we see this character, the music in the temple stops. Silence is high drama yet again. Who is this masked figure? Sheik says, I've been waiting for you, hero of time. <laughs> hero of time? As Sheik begins to speak, a new musical cue greets us, one that tells us immediately that Sheik is friendly. More than just friendly, familiar, like an old friend. The musical direction in this cue plays strongly against what we're seeing on screen, a mysterious masked figure who could be a threat. Instead, the music gives us the only indication that this is the beginning of an alliance that will continue through the rest of the game. This cue is filled with lush harmonies, major sevenths, jazzy tensions, sweeping romantic era chords, all scored on what sounds like harp samples. As this lovely music plays, Sheik says, when evil rules all, an awakening voice from within the sacred realm will call those destined to be sages who dwell in five temples. Oh, good, yeah, okay, great. Tell us where to go. What do we do next? One in a deep forest. Okay, got it. I'll bet that's the Lost Woods next to Kakariko Village. One on a high mountain. Okay, that's gotta be Death Mountain, where the Gorons live. One under a vast lake. Ooh, I think I know where that is. Uh, one within the House of the Dead. Yeah, okay, that's... Wait, what? One inside a goddess of the sand. Uh... Okay, I have no idea. Can we go back to the part... Nope. Sheik keeps on talking. Together with the hero of time. Okay, that's me. The awakened ones will bind the evil and return the light of peace to the world. Did you get all that? No? Okay, well, now instead of three sacred stones like we had in the first act, we need to find and awaken five sages in five different dungeons. And getting there will require finding items, learning magic, learning melodies, and traversing every single corner of the Hyrule map. But where to begin? Well, Sheik mentions that someone we know is in the Forest Temple and we should head there, located deep within the Lost Woods. We leave the Temple of Time and we finally make it to the entrance of the Forest Temple. Now, up until this point, the music in the three temples, which are kind of like classic Zelda dungeons, the music in the three temples we've experienced so far have been pretty atmospheric. This does remain true for the five temples we must now find, but that atmosphere does grow quite a bit in complexity. And the mood they set in each is very unique. Let's start with the forest temple, an overgrown temple in the middle of the lost woods. Okay. Well, the first thing I notice is what sounds like log drums or wooden percussion going through some serious ping-pong delay effects. I love the wooden delayed feel to this. It immediately harkens images of a dead and spooky forest. Very resonant, very wooden. Musically, they're just perfect fourths, but the delayed, endless nature of them gives a sense of foreboding. And then there's this choral synthesizer patch. But then there's another element here. What almost sounds like devilish, hiccuping laughter. Thirds. Moving up and down in stepwise motion. They remind us of the pixie-like spirits that live in this temple, giving this mystical forest temple a sense of mischief. A perfect musical setting for our first of these five temples.
one other interesting note. There is an African drum sample in here that most likely served as the launch pad for this piece, or the composition of this piece. Before I play it, I want to give a little insight into the games industry and compositions of the late 90s and early 2000s. Everything was sample-based for the most part, meaning that composers were using sample libraries of instruments, like strings, percussion, and brass, which were loaded into very big, very heavy sampler machines that were racked together and controlled by a sequencing software on your computer. I can tell you this firsthand from what I saw at LucasArts in 1997, and then again when I started there in 2000. Live orchestras and live musicians were not as common back then, though they were sometimes used, and composers often used whatever samples they could get their hands on for composition. This includes sample loops from sample loop libraries, usually on CD or CD-ROM. One of these samples is at the heart of this Forest Temple piece. It's a track called African098-B from a sample library collection called Ethnic Flavors. It sounds like this. A fascinating little insight into not only this piece, but into the life of a game composer in the late 90s. Anyway, we beat the Forest Temple after a really cool run-in with a phantom version of Ganondorf on horseback, running in and out of paintings like a headless horseman, all set to boss music. And we discover that Saria, our childhood friend who first gave us a fairy ocarina, is the first of the five sages to be awakened. When this sequence is all over, we find ourselves back in the forest in front of the old Deku tree from the top of the game. In front of it is a little sprout. As Link stares at it, it pops up out of the ground and reveals itself to be a little baby Deku sprout. When it does, the Kokiri forest music from the beginning of the game, that happy, jaunty tune, kicks back in. New life created! Old music back! I see, as we awaken the sages, the game world slowly heals itself. The music is a great indicator of this, a classic sign of Nintendo design, the world reacting positively to your game progress. Okay, one temple down, four more to go before we save the world. What was it that Sheik said? A high mountain? A desert? Maybe I should go back to the Temple of Time and see if Sheik's there. Maybe I'll get a piece of advice. We are entering a part of the game where Sheik is going to teach us more than just the simple melodies we learned for our ocarina in the first part of the game. Before we've saved Hyrule, we will have learned a lush handful of very memorable melodies. And now for a brief intermission. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We return now to the soundtrack show. Chic. That mysterious friend with the super nostalgic music cue teaches us new melodies for our ocarina throughout the middle and end of the game. These melodies allow us to quickly travel, or warp, from one area to another instantaneously. This new set of melodies that we'll need to learn all have musical names. Bolero, Nocturne, Serenade, etc. And one of the first that Sheik teaches us is called the Prelude of Light. A prelude in music is the name of an introductory piece of music, like at the beginning of an opera. It makes sense, then, 
that this would be one of the first melodies that Sheik would teach us, the prelude to our adult adventure. Unlike the melodies in the beginning of the game, which were just a pattern of three notes, these melodies are a bit longer, a bit more complex. And remember, these have to be written in this four-note, plus the octave, five-note scale that's available to us on our controller. One, two, three, four, and then the octave. How many melodies can Kondo come up with with just these notes? Let's take a listen to the prelude of light. Funny, it's the same three notes as Zelda's lullaby. The same three notes as Epona's theme, but has a completely different feel and is a six note pattern that you have to play. This prelude of light allows us to warp back to the Temple of Time at any point. This will be very useful later on. A second piece that we learned from Sheik, back when we found the Forest Temple, is another warp tune called Minuet of Forest. When we first arrive at that temple, Sheik appears from out of nowhere and says, The flow of time is always cruel. Its speed seems different for each person, but no one can change it. Okay, who is this? Anyway, Sheik goes on. A thing that doesn't change with time is a memory of younger days. Ah, he must be talking about our childhood in this very forest. Just like the childhood of Zelda creator Shigeru Miyamoto. In order to come back here again, play the Minuet of Forest. nice three-quarter time waltz with a major key. Again, just using the scale available to us on our playable ocarina controller. A minuet, by the way, in classical orchestral music, is defined as a slow, stately ballroom dance for two in triple time. And that's exactly what Koji Kondo wrote here. One, two, three. One, two, three. After learning this piece, we can now warp back to our lovely Kokiri Forest at any time. These melodies are going to come in handy. So now, with one dungeon conquered and one sage awakened, it's time to head to where we think the second dungeon is, up on top of Death Mountain. After a few conversations in Goron City and a quick change of clothes, we need a thing called the Fire Tunic to progress forward. We discover our way into the crater of the volcano itself. And wouldn't you know it, there's Sheik again! We are stopped and that lovely friendship cue plays again. And before Sheik teaches us a third warp melody, we hear some really interesting things. It is something that grows over time, a true friendship, a feeling in the heart that becomes even stronger over time. The passion of friendship will soon blossom into a righteous power, and through it, you will know which way to go. Whoa, I, I guess we're besties. We don't know it yet, but Sheik is foreshadowing that each of the five sages are friends that we made when Link was a child. And it's the power of friendship, the power of Link and the five sages combined, that will save the kingdom. Sheik goes on. This song is dedicated to the power of the heart the Bolero of Fire. Let's listen to the Bolero of Fire. Nice. A six-note melody that is quite different than any other tune we've had to play thus far. Set to a triplet snare drum march, this truly does feel like a bolero, a Spanish dance that is most famous to us in the form of Maurice Ravel's orchestral piece, Bolero. 
which was almost in the original Legend of Zelda game from the mid-1980s. For more on Bolero and Zelda, I invite you to check out my episode on the original Legend of Zelda game. Anyway, it's fun to see a Bolero mentioned in a Zelda game because of its history with the franchise, and this Bolero of Fire allows us to warp back to Death Mountain anytime. After this moment, we discover the Fire Temple, and we're greeted by Darunia, the leader of the Gorons, who we met as a child, if you recall from our last episode. This time, he tells us of a dragon that Ganondorf has set loose, and that all of his people are imprisoned here in the temple, and we need to help out! Okay, so let's head into the temple, and let's, uh, let's check out its music, and even hear an interesting story about it along the way. The music in this second temple is very ambient, reusing a lot of the same ambient sound from our previous visit to Dodongo's cavern, but there's a new music cue with light percussion, and when the game came out, it also featured some distant chanting. Let's take a listen. Okay, there's some light drums, some tambourine, some high-pitched melodic percussion. This whole thing is kind of reminiscent of Goron City, only spookier. But then, these chanting samples enter the piece, repeating, reverberating through the temple. What is that chant? Well, it's an interesting story. One that culminates in the removal of this piece from the game altogether, as it violated one of Nintendo's corporate policies and can no longer be heard in any version of the game that's come out since its initial run in 1998. This sample is from a sample library CD, just like the Forest Temple, and it sounds like this. This is track number 76 from the Voice Spectral Sample CD, and you can hear that portions of this were taken and processed, repeated, etc., to create the atmosphere of the temple. In reality, this is a recording of an Islamic prayer, and many Muslim Zelda fans have pointed this out. It was released on, I believe, the original run of gold Nintendo 64 cartridges, the 1.0 cartridges, and I believe version 1.1, some second run N64 cartridges. But it was replaced on all future versions, additional N64 runs, the GameCube, the 3DS, and more. The new track, with those chants removed, sounds like this. It sounds very similar, but instead of using the prayer sample from the sample library, it uses other samples that sound vaguely like low-pitched voices echoing through the halls of the temple. We'll hear these samples used in other temples later. Now, the question is, why did Nintendo change it? It violated a corporate policy. According to Nintendo, the use of this prayer sample from an open sample library violated their policy of quote, no real-life religious references, unquote. So they realized that this was an Islamic prayer after the game's release, and before anyone even said anything to Nintendo, they changed the music in future releases. An interesting bit of history here, which explains why many of you may have experienced different music in the Fire Temple, or may not remember this prayer vocal at all. Anyway, we defeat the dragon in the Fire Temple, and suddenly, we can see from Kakariko Village that the smoky skies and ring of fire around Death Mountain disappear, replaced with blue skies. The hero of time is definitely starting to save the world. Back in the Chamber of Sages, it's revealed to us that the Fire Sage is our childhood friend Darunia of the Gorons. He gives us the fire medallion and off we go. Two temples down, three left to go. Now, on to the next temple. Hmm. What was it that Sheik told us again? One by a mountain, one by water something? One by a waterfall? Oh, right, 
that's right. Thanks. Okay, so we head back to Zora's domain, only we find it completely frozen. Well, we decide to let it go, sorry, and continue out to Zora's fountain, where the whale Jabu Jabu was hanging out when we were kids. But it's now a snowy, freezing place where we find some ice caverns and are treated to this piece of music. Ah, what a clean, almost open sound. It sounds kind of major, kind of pleasant, but it moves in these curious intervals. What's going on here? Well, the chord that we hear again and again is a major chord, but with a couple of what are called tensions added. A sixth, making it a C6, and a ninth on the top making it a C6 add 9. Now, just like the Chamber of Sages, it moves in whole steps. First downward, then back up, then downward, then downward again, thus imitating, though briefly, the chords of the main Zelda overworld theme again from the original games. But then it keeps going further downward, hinting at a whole tone progression. That's what gives this its lack of resolution, its frozen quality, as it remains suspended in ice without real resolution. It's got that nice openness to it. While we're in this cavern, we pick up a handy pair of iron boots that will help us on the slippery ice, as well as in the water temple ahead. But first, wouldn't you know it, Sheik shows up again and teaches us the serenade of water. A serenade simply means a performance, sung or played. Specifically, according to the Oxford Language Dictionary, it means, quote, a piece of music sung or played in the open air, typically by a man at night under the window of his lover, unquote. Okay. Outside of the context of classic Western literature, this is weird. But we'll go with it. Oh, and totally ignore that Zoro's domain is the home of Princess Rudo, who's been flirting with us since we were a kid, a detail that I skated right past in previous episodes, and we'll just move on to the melody. Sheik is going to teach us a melody that will allow us to access the Water Temple, where we must defeat another evil monster. But first, more poetry. Time passes, people move. Like a river's flow, it never ends. A childish mind will turn to noble ambition. Young love will become deep affection. The clear water's surface reflects growth. Now listen to the serenade of water to reflect upon yourself. Okay, Sheik spells out a minor chord with a major sixth. I'm not sure what this is yet, but suddenly when Koji Kanu gives us chords to accompany it, we realize it's a beautiful waltz that gives us a one minor, four major chord progression, spelling out a beautiful Dorian sound. and it resolves finally on a major chord. After receiving a blue water tunic from King Zora, we find the water temple entrance at Lake Helia. The music is reminiscent of Dave Grusin's score to the Goonies in my mind alternating between major and minor chord progressions with a bubbling synth sound, some crystal-like melodic percussion, some low choir samples, and some Middle Eastern strings and flute instruments.
It's filled with wonderful textures and keeps us calm in a temple that I thought was really hard to figure out when I first played it. While you're in the water temple, you defeat a dark, watery reflection of yourself, paying off on Sheik's poetic metaphor earlier. You defeat an aqua monster and return to the Chamber of Sages, only to find that Princess Rudo, your childhood friend, is the Water Sage. You get the Water Medallion and set out to find the last two temples. On to temple number four. We arrive at Kakariko Village and discover it's on fire. A shadowy spirit escapes the well and is released into the world. Sheik tells us we must find Impa, who, if you remember, we met as a child, and that she is the sixth sage. She has gone to the Shadow Temple to try and contain the shadowy spirit, and we learn another ocarina warp melody, the Nocturne of Shadow. A nocturne is another musical term. Nocturne, with an E on the end, is French for nocturnal, and is a composition that is inspired by, or evocative of, the night. Pieces of music called nocturnes were primarily romantic pieces from the 19th century, usually for the piano. Here's the melody that Sheik teaches us. Another minor sixth chord, but this time it's descending, going down, instead of ascending, going up, the way the Serenade of Water did. But the chord treatment by Koji Kondo is very different. It's a minor chord progression filled with dread-inspiring chromaticism. of the darkest melodies in the entire game. And now on to the Kakariko graveyard and into the Shadow Temple. This temple's music is a feast of different samples, including percussion, low vocals, and high soprano vocals that pitch bend in a way that gives us the chills. Certainly appropriate for this creepy place. It's my least favorite dungeon in the game. Not because it isn't cool, it certainly is. But I have a natural aversion to scary games. Scary movies, I can do all day. Scary games, eh, okay, let's move on. Remember how I said Ocarina's story is musically themed? Well, wouldn't you know it? The big monster at the end of the Shadow Temple is literally a giant pair of hands playing percussion. That's right. You have to defeat a giant hand monster, two big floating hands, playing the bongos. The creature's name? Bongo Bongo, of course. After we defeat Bongo Bongo, get the Shadow Medallion from Impa, and get the heck out of there, we head to an area of Hyrule that we haven't even touched on yet. Not in three episodes. It's the home of Ganondorf himself, and the area where we will find the last temple. It's time to call Epona, our trusty steed, and ride into Gerudo Valley. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. Ah, Gerudo Valley, a beautiful desert area where craftsmen, construction workers, and other Gerudo citizens dwell. But they are plagued by a den of thieves. We go to this den of thieves and we get captured. 
We must prove ourselves to the thieves in this den by defeating them in combat and rescuing the hostages. We do impress them, and eventually they make us a part of their gang. All of this is happening, by the way, with a killer piece of music playing underneath. The Gerudo Valley theme is a flamenco-inspired, guitar-driven piece with chords that come straight out of the overworld Zelda theme. Let's take a listen. acoustic guitars. Great melody. Now let's listen to those chords, as they spell out a melodic minor progression that's very similar to Zelda's original overworld theme. It's one minor, to the flat six minor, to the flat seven minor, to the suspended five major. Now that is just an altered version of what was the main overworld theme. Again, that downward step progression, it's just kind of jumping differently a little. We start with one major, and then instead of going to the flat six, we just go down a step to the flat seven. Then down again. And then to the suspended five, just like in the Gerudo Valley piece. Certainly, it has that Zelda chordal flavor. Anyway, we wander out into the desert, and we find the Spirit Temple. And of course, we head right in. But wait a second, how do we get in here? How do we enter? It seems like we're just in this dead-end room. We head back outside into the desert, and who should be there to guide us? Sheik, our friend, who arrives to teach us another warp melody. Very handy for two reasons. One, it was a real schlep to get out here this far. Two. The only way into the Spirit Temple is to crawl through a small opening, something we could only do as a child. Past, present, future. The Master Sword is a ship with which you can sail upstream and downstream through Time's River. The port for that ship is in the Temple of Time. To restore the Desert Colossus. Oh, that's that big statue right over there. And enter the Spirit Temple. You must travel back through time's flow. You know, I'll just be quiet and listen. Listen to this requiem of spirit. This melody will lead a child back to the desert. A requiem is a Catholic mass for the dead. And it was set to music many, many times by very famous composers, such as Mozart or Verdi. The mass is made up of different parts, many of which have been set to music. The introit, sanctus, pie Jesu, curiae eleison, sequence, which by the way features the text of the Dies Irae, agnus Dei, libera me, gradual, offertory, communion, and more. The Requiem of Spirit goes like this. It's a simple minor triad, just using three of our buttons, spelled out in a six-note phrase. Its harmony kicks in, and it gives us a minor and at times diminished setting. Sorrowful, traditionally minor harmony, very reminiscent of Mozart's Requiem. We now must travel through time, become a child again, and warp back to the spirit temple in the middle of the desert. Once we enter, we meet Naburu, the leader of the Gerudo Thieves, for the first time, making her someone that we technically met when we were a child and not as an adult. You see where I'm going, more on that later. We progress through the Spirit Temple, which, by the way, has music that sounds like this. <laughs> Thank you. 
clearly is evocative of Middle Eastern modal harmonies, with flatted seconds, fifths moving in parallel, right out of a classic Hollywood movie where our heroes explore the Egyptian pyramids. But deep in the temple, there are two sisters called Twin Rova that are waiting for you. As you progress, they capture your new Gerudo thief friend, Naburu, and there's nothing you can do. Since you can't progress further as a child, you have to warp back to the Temple of Time, use the Master Sword, and become an adult again. And now, as grown-up Link, you go back to the Spirit Temple, defeat Twin Rova, who are hilarious, by the way, and Naburu is rescued. And wouldn't you know it, this Gerudo thief who we befriended in childhood turns out to be the last sage. And she gives us the Spirit Medallion. We now have all six medallions after defeating all five temples. We've connected with all the sages and are ready to face Ganondorf, save Zelda, and bring peace back to Hyrule. But first, we meet with Sheik one last time. I've been waiting for you, Link. Link, the hero of time. You have overcome many hardships and awakened six sages. And now you have a final challenge, a showdown with Ganondorf, the king of evil. Before that, I have things I want to tell only to you. Please listen. Listen! Get, get out of here. Come to find out, Sheik is actually, surprise, surprise, Princess Zelda in disguise. It was Zelda all along. This is reinforced by a reprise of Zelda's lullaby in the underscore. And now, with Zelda behind us as the seventh sage, and a long, complicated story about the Triforce and how it connects us, we head to Hyrule Castle, which is, at this point, a really messed up looking and sounding Fortress of Darkness. Yikes. This is now referred to as Ganon's Castle, and our seven sages create a bridge of light so that we may enter. The music is atmospheric, creepy, and features these wonderful piano stabs that echo and reverberate through the castle as we defeat six different barriers that are keeping us from finding Ganondorf. Once we make our way to the inner portion of the castle, we find ourselves in a stone tower, ascending a staircase adorned with red carpet. And in the distance, we hear this. Pipe organ? What is this? Gothic, evil sounding, certainly, but in the game, it sounds far off, at a distance, like this. But as we ascend the staircase, it gets louder and louder. What's going on here is a really, really nice touch by the game team. Aha, this pipe organ is diegetic. Link can hear it. It exists in the world of the game. Not only is it setting a proper dreadful mood, but it also has a spatial perceptive function. We're getting closer to Ganondorf. We're getting closer to the king of all evil. We know so because we're hearing it. Using music this way is very effective and terrifying. True to the musical nature of this game, when we find Ganondorf, he is sitting at a pipe organ loudly playing away. That was him we were hearing all along. But then, sensing our presence, he stops. Silence yet again. Zelda is there, captured, and Ganondorf has almost completed his complicated plan of making the three parts of the Triforce, of which we each hold one piece, but I won't get into that whole thing again, and a battle ensues. The music pounds at us relentlessly as Ganondorf hurls magic at us, but we manage to defeat him, and the castle begins crumbling down. Zelda and Link must escape!
music increases tempo as we try and flee the falling castle. Finally, we make it, and we think, as Zelda says, that it is over. But suddenly, we, and the characters, hear a sound. Another nod to the importance of audio in this story. It sounds like a metal bang. The wind goes silent. And then, out of nowhere, Ganondorf appears again! His wounded breathing sound is horrible, and we hear that familiar Ganondorf refrain as he uses the Triforce of Power to transform himself into his true beast-like form, Ganon, a giant pig-like monster that is truly terrifying. Kondo-san gives us a fourth piece of new music in a row in this ending sequence, as we must face the most terrifying monster of all in this game, in the ultimate battle to win back the soul of Hyrule. A rolling snare drum, just as in the other pieces of Ganondorf boss battle music, but this one feels much more epic. The chords are modal, major, minor, as if telling an ancient story. The choral samples give a feel of a classic Greek chorus, placing us firmly in the creation of an ancient legend. It's all come down to this. Past generations have predicted its arrival, and future generations will sing of its outcome. Finally, with our gamer hearts pounding, we defeat the evil beast Ganon, and he is sent by the sages into the void of the evil realm, imprisoned forever, or at least until there's a sequel. At last, our nightmare is truly over. Ganondorf curses Link, swears revenge on future generations when the seal is broken someday, and disappears into the void. Then, Zelda and Link appear together in the clouds, underscored with Zelda's lullaby again. thanks Link, and they discuss all that's happened. We slowly start to experience the game's denouement. Our racing hearts relax as we button push our way through text boxes. <sighs> it's time for us to say goodbye, Zelda says. She tells us to go home, regain our lost time, and to become innocent children again. She plays her Ocarina of Time, and we ascend into the clouds. And the credits roll over a beautiful piece of original music based on Zelda's lullaby. We see helicopter-esque shots of the vistas of Hyrule, a very emotional ending to a very long, epic game. And even after all of our adventures, all of our side quests, there are so many details and side adventures to explore that we couldn't possibly cover it in just three episodes. Eventually, the music changes to the Lost Woods tune, and we see the characters of Hyrule throwing a victory celebration. Our heroic actions as gamers have created a better world for the citizens of Hyrule. All different tribes and characters dance around a campfire, and the music reflects this. <coughs> Return the Jedi. The celebration fades out as our partying characters see the sages fly overhead. They land on Death Mountain, and we start to hear that whole tone Chamber of Sages music again. But this time, finally, Kondo-san gives us musical resolution. The music resolves, and Cadence is back to the bridge of Zelda's lullaby. fading us back into the Temple of Time. We see Link, we see ourselves, as a child again. Navi, our fairy, floats away through the temple walls. Link walks away from the Master Sword. Church bells ring, 
and the music gives us that Zelda overworld progression one last time. As the text on the screen reads, presented by Nintendo. And we fade out. But what's this? A post-credit scene? We're back to seeing Zelda in her castle courtyard as a young girl from the beginning of the game. And as a child, we, Link, approach her. Will she know everything that we know? Everything that we've been through? We'll never know because as we approach, the scene freezes and goes black and white. The words, the end, appear on the screen. And how does Koji Kondo handle this musically? He sets up a musical cadence, begging for a resolve, but he doesn't resolve the chord. After all of this, the game ends on a musical cliffhanger. Perhaps a promise of more adventures shortly yet to come. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is more than just a masterpiece late 90s video game. It's an interactive musical adventure filled with so many great leitmotifs and different pieces of music. And the story and gameplay are musically themed. It's the musical instrument that we held in our hands the entire game that made the whole adventure possible. The message Ocarina of Time sends is clear. Music will take you on an adventure. Music can reclaim innocence lost. It stands as one of the greatest achievements in video game music in the history of the medium. And years later, it's easy to see just how innovative and groundbreaking the development team and composer Koji Kondo were in bringing it to life. And as passionate music fans, it continues to remind us of the awesome power of great melodies. Thank you. The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.